Hey podcast listeners, welcome to the podcast Celeb Who, where we tell you the life story of a celebrity, and you, the listener, get the opportunity to guess which celebrity that is. I'm your host, Cameron. And I'm your co-host, Alejandra. And you're listening to Celeb Who. Copyright is back. First try, and we got that on Nailed point. Nailed it on point. We were wow. on in sync. <laughs> Not the band. <laughs> uh, it's been a long time. Very, very long time. Yep. Uh, about a year, huh? Almost a year, yeah, I Since think so. Since our last upload. Shoot, man. Well, we've been a little preoccupied um, welcoming our newest, the newest addition to our family, a uh, little baby, and... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, making sure that... She's not a baby anymore, though. She's not. She's a grown baby. Uh, <laughs> a baby that could kick my butt at this point. <laughs> the toddler sure does. Both of them, yeah. So I know that everyone must be dying to figure out who the last celebrity was that we did, um, you know, a year ago. <laughs> uh, let's be honest, though. I'm pretty sure anyone who didn't know who Audrey was... During looked the episode, it looked it up 100%. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, cheaters. Yeah, you did your, your research on who she was and blah, blah, blah. It was Marilyn Monroe, whatever. And if you didn't, you have a hell of a lot of patience. And you're also a liar. Patience. You're also a liar. <laughs> there's no way. No, I feel like maybe there's one person out there, you know. Well, there you have it. Marilyn Monroe. Was it worth the non-weight, huh? You researching cheaters, huh? <laughs> okay, that's <laughs> much. So congrats to whoever guessed it, and shame on you to those of you who cheated. Um, I have uh, kind of a big announcement, though. I'm really excited for this announcement. And don't ruin this for me. I'm going to give this announcement, okay? Um <laughs> I'm just going to blurt it out. Just blurt it out. No, okay. I have a new paranormal podcast coming out, and the title of it is Campfire Lore. And dun, 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 dun. I'm super excited about it. And anybody who's a paranormal lover out there, um, we dive into some pretty pretty cool topics. and uh, Pretty creepy ones. Yeah. Pretty it was... interesting ones, though, also. It's mostly yes. Cam doing it. Cause yeah, it, it was originally time. called Local Lore, and it kind of explored the lore that, you know, is kind of hidden in your own backyard. And so um, just check it out when it drops. It's actually going to drop a week after this one does. And that leads me to another announcement. And uh, you may not be happy to hear this. Um, but we will be uploading an episode of Celeb Who every other week from here on out. And then... That's because Cam's the one that's doing most of the research. I'm yeah, and I will be putting mama. <laughs> half half the effort into Campfire Lore, which means I'll be releasing an episode of Celeb Who one week. Next week, it'll be Campfire Lore, and then Celeb Who, Campfire Lore, Celeb Who, going back and forth. Um, so if you, you know, just really want to get your fix of me, uh, check out Campfire Lore. <laughs> I'm sure nobody wants to, but... His bad jokes, you know? Just... Yeah. Actually, no, that one's more serious. That one gets straight to the point. That one's just super serious. Yeah. So it's not really going to be, um, jokey fun camera. It's going to be serious informational, um, paranormal camera. Yeah. Nice. Yep. 
so in honor of that big announcement that uh, I have my new paranormal podcast coming out, um, we've decided that we're going to do something a little different this episode, and we're going to go ahead and get a little bit spookier than normal. So prepare yourselves. Uh, have a change of underwear on hand. Um, I'd recommend that. <laughs> I don't know a lot about these people. Yeah, but you're going to learn everything you need to know about them. Yeah. Uh, so like I said, today's going to be a little bit different, just kind of a different style. And I kind of want to get um, people's gauge of how they like uh, the style and the format of this episode because it might change things or the way that we do things in the future on Celeb Who. Okay. So please feel free to give us feedback on this episode and um, we'll give you ways that you can do that at the end of this episode. So let's just dive right in. Can't say that because we've been talking for almost five minutes now. <laughs> so let's delay dive in. The year is 1944. Mm-hmm. Okay. And 16-year-old Diane is walking to the movies with her two friends at the Colonial Theater in Bridgeport, Connecticut. I really want to see Going My Way. I heard it's a fantastic film. Based on your choice in boys, Margaret, I wouldn't trust your choice in movies any further than I could throw you. Gosh, date one greaseball and you never hear the end of it. At least I've dated, which is more than I can say about you, Diane. There is more to life than boys, and I, for one, intend to focus on the more important aspects, like school. Yeah, but you know who's going to be at the theater? Tommy! I think you two would get along swell. You should give him a chance. And how do you know he will be there? He's an usher. He works there. Well, either way, I'd rather focus on school. Besides, boys are rough, not gentle like my brother Jim. Boys are too rough around the edges for me. The three friends continue to walk until they reach the theater. Diane's friends nudge Diane in Tommy's direction. Gee, what a nice looking young man. Tommy has sharply creased pants and perfectly coiffed hair and walks over to Diane. Um, hi. What's that smell? Smells like Noxima. Oh yeah. Uh, well, I, I work as a lifeguard during the day, and I use Noxzema to soothe my skin. Well, enjoy your movie. Diane and her friends go to watch their movie, but surprisingly, Diane can't stop thinking about Tommy. Once the movie is over, the girls go back into the lobby, where Tommy has just finished his shift. How, how, how was the movie? It was good, I think. I wasn't really paying attention. My mind was not with me. Well, let me walk you girls home. Tommy walks the girls home, but on the way he tells them he is going to buy them each a Coke. Diane's two friends take the Coke, which worth five cents each. Diane, however, picks an ice cream soda, which was ten cents each. They all continue to their respective homes, Diane's being the last of them. I can get home from here on my own. Thanks. Well, I mean, it's, it's just a little further. I can just walk you the rest of the way if you'd like. I left by myself. I think it would be best if I went home by myself as well. Oh yeah, I totally understand. Be safe. Tommy happily nods his head and runs across the street as Diane watches him. That's the man I'm gonna marry. So that right there is the story of how the two most famous paranormal investigators met. So Tommy was a demonologist and Diane, who was your character, was a clairvoyant. 
And together, they would go on to pave the road for amateur investigators all over the world. Explain what a clairvoyant is. Clairvoyant is somebody who's kind of in touch with um, spirit. the spirits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the spiritual side of life. So they can talk to spirits, they can sense them and stuff like that. So their, their story inspires and encourages thousands to pursue investigating the paranormal. And this is very early on before that was like really a big career choice. So they were really way pavers for the industry. And this is their story. Tommy was born on September 7th in 1926, and Diane was born on January 31st, 1927. They both were born in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Diane went to Laurelton Hall Girls' School, which was a prestigious Catholic school. Diane recalls that she first noticed her clairvoyant abilities around the age of nine. Now one day, Diane points out that one sister nun's light was brighter than another sister's light, and she didn't realize that not everyone, if anyone else at all, could even see those lights, or auras is what they're called. Have you heard of auras? Yeah. Okay, well for the people who don't know, it's like a a color or a light that's kind of around a person and it kind of you know emanates. matches it emanates from them and it kind of matches their personality some people say now the head nun catches wind of this and tells diane that they don't speak of those things there so it's a catholic school they're probably mm-hmm. not really down with the spiritual stuff like that diane says you couldn't share things like that with nuns that was very much frowned upon and if i tried at home it was fine as long as i could joke and let be lighthearted. It was never anything to discuss seriously. Now on another occasion, it was Arbor Day, she and her classmates planted a sapling. And she says, quote, Just as soon as they put the sapling in the ground, I saw it as a fully grown tree, filled with leaves blowing in the wind. End quote. This is kind of a hint back to the story when she met Tommy. Remember when she was standing on the side of the road and says, that's the man I'm going to marry? Yeah. It's because she had visions that they were going to be married. Oh, wow. So she has these visions of the future, basically. Mm-hmm. When a nun asks her why she was staring at the sky, Lorraine responds, quote, I told her I was just looking up into the tree. Are you seeing the future? She asked me just as sternly. Yes, I admitted. I guess I am. Tommy found an interest in paranormal through his own experiences in his childhood home. I could sum up his story, but I think it would really sound best, you know, just straight from his mouth. And I'm going to read an excerpt from the book The Demonologist by Gerald Brittle, which quotes Tommy on his experiences growing up. Now bear with me because it is a bit lengthy. So quote, I was five, he recalls, when I first realized that something unusual was going on in this world. Where we lived, we had an old spinster landlady who didn't like dogs or kids. She'd sit by the window and actually wait for you to do something wrong. When you did, she'd come flying out of the house screaming like a madwoman. Well, about a year after she died, I was upstairs in the same house taking off my play shoes. The sun was going down and the room was getting dark. As I sat there on the floor, the closet door opened all by itself. Inside the dark closet, I saw a dot of light, about the size of a firefly. In a few seconds, now tell me, what would you do if you're sitting in your room, <laughs> closet door opens, and there's just a floating light? I would run away. Run downstairs? I'm a chicken, 100%. Yeah. 
I hate all that stuff. <laughs> I love that stuff. I, but that's the thing. Ugh. I say that I, you know, I love that stuff and I would be like, oh, that'd be cool. But if I were in that position, I'd be downstairs, out the front door, and <laughs> driving myself straight to the police station. No. If I feel <laughs> something like just a presence as I'm going to the restroom in the middle of the night, I run and jump in bed. Yeah. No, yeah. I can confirm that. <laughs> she wakes me up a lot by just jumping straight into the bed. It's creepy. Okay, back to the story. In a few seconds, the light grew to human length, and then, incredibly, the apparition of the landlady stood before me, semi-transparent, wearing what looked like some sort of shroud. She was frowning as usual, just like she looked in life. Then she vanished. Because I was only five, I don't know if this kind of thing was natural, but I sensed it wasn't because it scared me. When I told my father, who was a Connecticut state trooper, he told me to forget what I saw and never tell anyone. Well, I never told anyone, but I also never forgot what I saw. As Ed grew older, the search for answers about such strange goings-on became an intellectual quest that formed the basis for his later career. Being a perceptive child, he wanted to know why these strange things went on around him and whether other people had experiences similar to his own. At the same time I spent my childhood in a haunted house, I attended Catholic school. I was hardly the most religious kid in class. In fact, I didn't even like to go to church because I had to dress up. Still, when the good priests and nuns in school spoke about spirits and the devil, I, more than others in my class, had reason to listen. Even at an early age, I was trying to figure out the weird incidents of psychic phenomena I saw go on in my own home. My early education, therefore, supplied me with a general metaphysical over overview of the world. I didn't know whether that information was true or false, of course, but I remembered it nonetheless. At the same time, other things happened to me as a child. My father was a very devout man who never missed going to Mass a day in his life. Perhaps it was because he saw the uglier side of life every day as a policeman. I do know, however, that my grandfather had a strong influence on my father. My grandfather was a very pious, very devout man when he died. He bequeathed his life savings to the church we attended to buy a stained glass window with the figure of St. Michael in the center. As a child, I used to go into the church and look at that big, beautiful window with the sun streaming through it and wonder who St. Michael was. Now, did you know, do you know who St. Michael was? No, I didn't pay attention in Catholic school. So Tommy says, Today, of course, I know it was St. Michael, the archangel who drove Satan from heaven and is the patron saint of the exorcist. So he's pretty significant in the Catholic faith. Yeah. One of the most perplexing things to happen to me as a child, Tommy resumes, was that I would have dreams of a nun coming to speak to me. It got to the point I told my father about this woman and described her in detail. That woman, my father said one night, dumbfounded, was your aunt. I'd never met my aunt, she died before I was born. I was told she had been a nun who had gone through incredible physical sufferings. My father often called her a saint, for want of a better term. During one of my dreams, she told me something that took on meaning only when I grew up. Tommy, she said, you will tell many priests the right road to go down, but you yourself will never be a priest. While I am not a priest today, but I do work closely with them and tutor those who have been assigned to work in the area of demonology and exorcism. 
So in all honesty, my work is not a calling. Instead, I'd say I'm simply living out my destiny. Whew. Sorry, I know that was very long. It's all right. But it really sums up, you know, how he got into the paranormal field Mm -hmm. in the beginning. Now, Tommy was first exposed to the idea of exorcisms at guess what age? I mean, this is ridiculous. Well, he was five, so I'd say like 10, 11. Wow. At the age of eight. So he overhears a priest telling his father that they were going to be performing an exorcism on a man who took on the form of a pig and made sounds of a pig and foul smells. What? Yeah. That was the first time he had ever heard anything like that. Now, going back to the story of Tommy and Diane, little ditty about Tommy and Diane. (laughs) (laughs) So they're 16. They meet, but by the age of 17, World War II is just completely raging. Mm -hmm. So Tommy ends up enlisting into the Navy. While he's in the Navy, Tommy's ship collides with an oil tanker, which causes a huge fiery explosion, and it causes the men to have to jump overboard into the icy Atlantic water. Now, while trying to help a fellow Navy man, Tommy realizes he is just surrounded by a wall of flame, and he he has nowhere to go. But then suddenly, a Coast Guard boat breaks through the flames and pulls both men from the freezing water and totally saves their lives. Dude, like from a movie? Straight up from a movie, yeah. Josh Hartnell and uh, Ben Affleck style. (laughs) Pearl Harbor. Yeah, (laughs) I know. Watch that movie every day, pretty much. Tommy gets a 30-day survivor's leave, and the incident must have made him realize how fragile life is, because as soon as he gets back, he asks Diane to marry him. Mm. He literally had only a few hours to ask Diane before he had to be back. At the ages of 18 and 19, Diane and Tommy wed on May 22, 1945. They get married in Bridgeport. And for their honeymoon, they took a train to New Haven where they stayed at the Taft Hotel. And by the next morning, Tommy had to leave for the Navy again. Wow. On January 11th, 1946, Tommy was standing on a dock in Nagoya, Japan, where he learns that his daughter Karen has just been born. Ooh. After World War II is over, Tommy returns home to his wife and his daughter in 1951. So his daughter is five at that point. Immediately upon his return, Tommy enrolls into art school. Now he attends Yale's art subsidiary, which is called Perry Art School. And his art is a little unique to say the least. So he doesn't really paint your typical scenarios, you know, like mountains or rivers or- A tree. Tree or whatever. (laughs) The main theme of his paintings is haunted houses that he paints throughout Connecticut. and also some other ghostly works. So clearly Tommy's love and interest in the paranormal ran deep in everything he does. After only studying art for two years, Tommy then drops out and he and Diane begin opening pop-up stands throughout touristy areas in Massachusetts, Vermont, Rhode Island, and Connecticut in an effort to sell Tommy's paintings. Getting Tommy's foot in the door to paranormal investigating was actually as a result of his painting skills. So what they would do is if they would catch wind of a haunted house, he and Diane would go to that structure. Tommy would then start to paint the house from the street, and after he was done, they would give the painting to the owners in an attempt to you know, get them to invite them in. So it was like their peace offering, like, <laughs> hey, we 
made you this painting. Uh, can we come in? We've been sitting outside of your house. Yeah, if you haven't noticed, <laughs> we've been out there for a while. Weirdos. It's cold too. Here's a painting. <laughs> now this technique was actually extremely successful for the two. Wow. As oddly as that sound. And there was actually a documentary that I watched that said Tommy would also just send Diane to give the paintings to the owners. Maybe in an attempt to seem a little less threatening, you know? Yeah. Instead of, you know, a man. Hey, check out my paintings. You know, a woman. Hey, check out my husband's paintings. <laughs> you know? <laughs> now, the funny part is, is that, that at that time, Diane was actually a huge skeptic of the paranormal, believe it or not. Hmm. Even given her clairvoyant nature. Diane was quoted as saying, In the beginning, I was more than a bit wary of the people with whom we spoke. I thought they were kind of suffering from overactive imaginations or were just ma making things up to get attention. So it wasn't until Diane noticed a lot of similarities between people's stories that she started to believe. Tommy and Diane then founded the New England Society for Psychic Research, or NESPR, N-E-S-P-R, in 1952. So they're moving along pretty quickly here. Yeah. Tommy and Diane begin to build a name for themselves and eventually have people contacting them for their help. Tommy self-teaches himself how to be a demonologist, so he's able to perform low-scale exorcisms, and paired with Diane's sixth sense, they really make a great team. At this time in the world, paranormal investigating, as I said, is extremely new, so Tommy and Diane are trailblazers for the art. And throughout their years as investigators, Tommy and Diane have investigated and been involved in some of the biggest and darkest cases to date. We will go ahead and dive into some of their most famous and popular cases. One of the first big cases that was investigated started in 1970, when a nursing student named Teresa received a doll for her birthday from her mom. <sighs> Teresa and her roommate Tracy experienced all kinds of activity revolving around the doll. And this is their story. Wow, Mom. It's beautiful and terrifying. Thanks. I'm glad you like it. It was quite expensive. She got it on sale. Your birthday is only worth $2 to her. <laughs> Did you hear that? Hear what? Never mind. That night, Teresa placed the doll sitting cross-legged on a rocking chair. It's late at night when the chair begins to rock on its own. Tracy, wake up! What? What's wrong? The rocking chair, look! Oh, it's probably just a draft or something. All the windows are closed, and look at the doll! What about it? It's just sitting there, looking at me, peering into my soul with black, lifeless eyes, making me question every decision I ever made in life. Every single decision that has brought me to this exact moment I am at, silently judging me, judging my car, my boyfriend, my job, my- Tracy, Tracy, relax. <sighs> Dang, you need therapy. No, look at the doll's legs. They were crossed when I set her down, and now they aren't anymore. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're, you're right. That's... <sighs> That's crazy. Yeah, crazy. Tracy and Teresa go back to sleep, and Teresa wakes up in the morning. Ah! Ah! What? The doll, it's on the floor, and there's paper next to her. Help me. Help us. Help, help who? Who is me? Who is us? I don't know. Let's call Bobby. Maybe he can make sense of all of it. 
The roommates call a friend Bobby to come over in hopes he can experience the doll doing something paranormal. After a relatively calm afternoon, Bobby decides to take a nap. Ah! Tracy and Teresa rush into the room where Bobby was napping to find the doll sitting on top of Bobby's chest. Get it off of me! I feel like I'm being strangled! I'm trying! With Teresa's help, they pull the doll off of Bobby. Holy cow! That doll is the real deal! You guys need to get a professional! Oh yeah, I totally know this great medium low. You mean medium? No, I mean medium low. She's good, but she's not the best, so medium low. Um, okay, anyway, go ahead and contact her. Tell her it's an emergency. On it! Tracy calls the medium and sets up a seance for that night. Hello, I am Madame Galaxia. Let us sit at the table and begin our seance. Madame Galaxia lights some candles around the table. Hold hands and close your eyes as I begin to try and make contact. I'm getting something. Dang it, Frankie. I told you to pour your juice into a glass. You don't drink directly from the container. Oh, sorry. I had to check up on the kids real fast. Couldn't find a babysitter on such short notice. Where was I? Oh. Shortly after, a cold breeze blows in through the room even though all the windows are shut. Madame Galaxia's demeanor changes. Hi. I'm Mary Louise. I'm seven. Hi, Mary Louise. My name is Teresa, and this is Tracy. Why are you with the doll? I died here when I was seven, but I feel safe and loved with you. Can I stay? Well, yeah, of course you can stay. We'll take care of you. Yay! I'm gonna stay forever! I'm gonna live in this doll forever! Now that they had an answer for everything that had been happening, Tracy and Teresa say goodbye to Madame Galaxia. But from that point on, Things got much worse for the roommates. Activity spiked and escalated until the girls were contacted by Tommy and Diane. Uh, hello. We've heard some reports of a haunted doll. Is there any chance that we could help find some answers and resolve this for you? Oh yes, please. Come over as soon as you can. We're on our way. Tommy and Diane rush to the apartment. As soon as Diane enters the house, she feels a demonic presence. Tommy. I don't think this is a little girl spirit. There's something dark here. After inspecting the doll and the reported activity, Tommy and Diane conclude the doll is being manipulated by a demonic being. We believe the demon is not looking to inhabit the doll, but rather is looking to possess a human. <gasps> we think it would be your best interest if we take the doll with us and separate it from you before it attempts to possess either of you two. If you think that's what's best, then take it. Tommy and Diane collect the doll and get into their car. Avoid all highways, Diane. This is going to be a rough ride. And it was a rough ride. Tommy had to douse the doll with holy water to calm it down. Once home, the doll was sealed up in a glass case with a sign that read, Warning, positively don't open. Whew. What do you think about that? It's creepy. That's pretty wild, huh? I hate this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, pretty wild. And that was just their one of their first big investigations. There's tons more and they do kind of get crazier. And with that conclusion of that story, uh, we're going to end the first uh, part of this episode because um, it's kind of a longer story. So 
This is the end to part one. Join us next week for part two. More goosebumps. More goose pimples. <laughs> Goodbye.